Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, today we close out our series, Belonging, Compassion, and Caring in an Isolated World. If you're here for the first time, or if you missed maybe one or two of those four that we've had before us, uh, before this one, I would encourage you to go to our website, newlifexn.org, and you can watch it there, or else you can download it and listen to it whenever you have the opportunity. Because this series has been very crucial in showing us that God cares so much that He wants us to belong to Him just because we're alive. He wants us to belong into His family, which is called the church, as it's said up there on the screen. And we live in a world that's so connected and yet at the same time so isolated. We know that everybody knows everything about everybody almost instantly. In fact, this week we found out once again that everybody knows more about us than we want them to know uh, when it comes to uh, like our credit information, that kind of thing. But here at New Life, we've been focusing these five weeks on a God the God of the universe who loves us so much that he came into our midst to show us that he wants us to belong to him. Through his son, Jesus Christ, and in the presence of his Holy Spirit, he wants nothing more than for us to know him personally. And the reason that we can know him personally is he became one of us so we could become one with him. A couple weeks ago, as we were talking about belonging, we moved from talking about ourselves to saying, what about the people out there? What about the people out there that don't even know that we exist? The people who don't know about Jesus, or maybe they've been uh, hurt by the church, and so they don't want to have anything to do with the church. What do we do with those folks? And, and we answered that we need to have compassion for the least, the last, and the lost. And, and in that message, one of the things we talked about is that it's not God's will God the Father, it's not His will that even one little one should be lost or perish. And yet people do get lost and people do perish unless someone does something. And that someone is you or me. As we go out each week, the someone, it's us. That's who the someone needs to be. And so this last message, we're going to focus outward again, but we're going to do it with a, a little different twist than we did a couple of weeks ago. What we're going to think about today is the three B's, which we, we opened up with the first message, belong, believe, and behave. And we said here at New Life, you belong just because you're alive. If you can breathe, you can belong. But over time, as you belong here, you will start to hear some beliefs. What we believe, and you heard a lot about what we believe about Jesus just during the Lord's Supper. And as you begin to believe those things, the goal that God has for us is eventually that we will believe them to the point that we become a new person. Jesus called it being born again, and then our behavior will start to change. Now, believing is supposed to move to behaving a certain way, but here in America, what often happens is it doesn't. People believe the things about Jesus, but being a follower of Jesus doesn't actually come to mean following Jesus. It just stays that belief. And if this is belief, my left hand is my belief, and my right hand is my behavior, if my belief and my, hate, my behavior are this far apart, I call that the hypocrisy factor in my life. However far apart these are, that's a big hypocrisy factor, but if they get closer and closer and closer, what I believe and how I behave, now my hypocrisy factor is small, and when it becomes like this, that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who ever said exactly what he did. 
and did exactly what he said. But our goal is to move from here over time in the power of the Holy Spirit to where it's closer and closer and closer. And so often people don't see that. And the point of today's message, uh, which is called caring as an invitation to know Jesus, is that people would rather see our behavior than hear our talk. People want to see our walk before they want to hear our talk. And so the take-home point, and for those of you who are new, we have a take-home point every week. It's the one point we make that we want to take out with us to take home with us and live it out in the week ahead. And it, it puts this idea this way about caring as an invitation to know Jesus. If we want people to hear the good news, if we want them to hear the good news, we must care about their daily needs. Because there's a saying that goes like this. It's a missionary saying, empty stomachs have no ears. Empty stomachs have no ears. If you have a physical need or an emotional need that's not being met, you don't want to hear about Jesus or God or salvation. You want to know that somebody who talks about those things cares. And so what we're going to think about today, what we're going to look at today is a passage of Scripture that talks about more than talk. It talks about putting our faith, our belief, into action, that our behavior becomes like what we say we believe. And probably the best person to do that for us is James. James was the stepbrother of Jesus. And while Jesus lived on the earth, James didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. He, he actually thought James was a little cra- or Jesus was a little crazy. And wouldn't you think your brother was a little crazy if he told you he was God? Huh, I know I would. I have three brothers. I think all of them were crazy. They told me they were God. But after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, then James was convinced. And James was so convinced that he actually followed wherever Jesus went. And eventually, he became a leader in the church. And eventually, he wrote this book called James. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a little action. We're going to actually, if you're able to, would you please stand up? And we're going to read this aloud together from James chapter 2. Just a few verses that talk about more than talk. Let's read it together. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that words aren't enough. And we know that when we believe in you, you call us to behave like Jesus. And so I pray that you'd pour your spirit into us, that we'll be empowered to do that more and more and more with each passing moment and day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So James wrote, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And that has raised a question. It's been a question that's been asked for 2,000 years. And here's the question. Are we saved by faith or by actions, works? Some people read what James said and said, see, James is saying we have to do works to be saved. And other people said, oh, no, 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 we are saved by our faith. And it seems like there's been this dichotomy that it's either faith or it's works. And, and the truth is, th- there's a little more to it than that. But I want to start with a more basic question. Saved from what? You know, we're being saved, but what are we being saved from? 
Well, we're being saved from sin and we're being saved from death. When Adam and Eve, the first two people, sinned, which is turned against God and disobeyed God, they set into uh, motion basically just a, a course of sin that has gone down through every generation right up to our own. And so every person is a sinner and we have a problem because God is holy. And holy means a lot of things, but it means this at least. It means that God can't be in the presence of sin. And so that means God can't be in the presence of us if we're sinners. And the thing is, we couldn't do anything about it. Because once you sin and once you're not holy anymore, you can't become holy. It's like if you put a little bit of you know, toothpaste out of the tube, you can't really get it back in. And so we were in a situation of desperation because all of us had sinned and the penalty for sin is death. And what could we do? Well, we couldn't do anything. So here's what God did. He sent Jesus. Well, actually, before he sent Jesus, he instituted the Mosaic Law. He put, it to, he put a temporary solution to the problem of sin. It's the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law was in force for 2,000 years. When you're God, temporary means 2,000 years. Okay, just a little... Uh, but anyway, and, and people had to obey the law, and when they disobeyed the law, somebody, uh, whatever the sin was, there was like a little list, and it, it said, okay, you did this sin, you have to kill a dove. You did this sin, you have to kill a, a sheep. You did this sin, you have to kill a cow, because the blood of something had to be shed to pay the penalty for sin. To, and the word the Bible uses is to atone for sin. And atone is an interesting word, because in English, at one, it's at one with God. We want to be at one with God, we atone. We don't atone. God atones for our sins. He puts us at one with himself. And it was through the blood of animals. And then 2,000 years after that, Jesus came to the earth. God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. Nobody had ever done that before. And that meant that he could die in our place. He could pay the penalty for our sin. And that's what he did. And so salvation came through Jesus' death and the shedding of his blood once and for all. So no animal ever has to die again for our sin. Jesus died for our sin, and he saved us from sin. So now, how do you answer the question, are we saved by faith or by works? Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? We do nothing, and Jesus does everything. Huh, so I guess we're saved by faith. Now, that's true, we are saved by faith, but here's the problem. Many, many, many people, most followers of Jesus in America among them, have taken this truth, which is a truth for granted, and they've taken it out of its original context. Because in its original context, the context was action. And probably Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 are the best three verses in the New Testament to explain this context. Let's look at those verses. Um, I actually skipped over Romans 10. We don't need that for right now. So God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So there it is. We were saved by what? Grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is a gift. It's given to us by God. So what does it say? We were saved by grace when Jesus died on the cross so nobody can do what? Brag. Hey, look at me. I accepted Jesus. No, 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 no. Look at Jesus. He accepted you. That's the thing. And he accepted me. Jesus accepted us. He died on the cross for us. And so Jesus gets all the credit. We don't get any credit. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't say period. It says you're God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. 
And then why are we saved? We are saved not so we'll do nothing. We are saved so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Long ago is actually before he created the universe. God had some good works planned for us. So good deeds, good behavior is what God planned for us. And our behavior doesn't determine whether we're Jesus' followers. It isn't our behavior that determines if we get on God's good side. It's our behavior that shows that we are God's followers. You see, once we believe that Jesus Christ died for us, once we receive that by faith, we get a new life. Jesus called it being born again. And once we're born again, our life starts over. And it's a spiritual life. And the life starts out as a baby and we become toddlers and so on as we mature in the faith. And our behavior becomes more and more like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it's supposed to work. But James noticed something. It doesn't always work like that. In fact, what James noticed is some people said they had faith, but they didn't do anything. And so he asked a reasonable question. He said, suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, there are all kinds of people out there who have all kinds of needs. Some people out there need food. Other people need clothing. Some people need to know that somebody cares that they are alive. Some people need to know uh, that, that, that somebody will take them to the doctor this week. Some people need a place to live. Some people need a job. There is need after need after need after need. Now, in James' day, he used a, an example that would be common in his day, people that didn't have food or clothing. And he said, suppose somebody doesn't have any of that. And you just say, hey, have a good day. Be warm and full. And then you walk away. He says, what good does that do? James asks some hard questions, doesn't he? Because all of us know people like that. Even in our day, there are people that are hungry. We, we see people, don't we see people with signs and they say, we'll work for food? Homeless vet, please help. And, and we don't even say, goodbye, have a good day, be warm and full. We just turn the other way, don't we? Oftentimes, we just turn the other way. We don't do anything. And, and sometimes we start to make excuses of why we shouldn't help those people because there's something wrong that they've done. You, did you notice James didn't do that? He didn't ask why they were hungry. He didn't ask why they needed clothing. He just said, help him. And the thing is, a lot of times, I think most of the time, Americans think that somebody in that situation is trying to scam us because there are people out there in the world that are trying to scam us right now. And James didn't address that either. James didn't say, if they're trying to scam you, make sure you know it and don't help them if they're trying to scam you. And, and I don't think James is trying to tell us that we should all be suckers. In fact, when I was first into ministry 30 years ago, I was an assistant pastor in a big church, and they, ha they had a nickname for me. My nickname was Pastor Sucker. They called me Pastor Sucker because people would come in off the street, you know, big church was right on a main road, and people would come in and go, Pastor you know, my child needs some diapers. Could you, could you help me out? And they'd say, Pastor, you know, my, my mother's in the next town over in Fairfield and I don't have enough gas to get over there and she's in the hospital and I gotta go see her. Can you get me some money for some gas? And they'd have all these stories, you know. And one time this guy actually uh, scammed me three times in two years, over a two-year period. You know, the first time he came in and said he needed food and he told me, you know, all this sad stuff. And so we gave him the food and and then he left, and, and, and I told him I'd come and visit him the next day, and he gave me an address, you know, and I went to the address. Guess what? It didn't exist. So the next, the next I don't know, six months later, the same guy comes in. I'm, you know me? I'm pretty good with names, right? I said, hey, Ricky, how you doing? He goes, Pastor, I have to tell you, I lied to you the last time I was here, but I would never do that again. 
That should have been my first uh, clue, right? But he did lie to me right straight to my face again. You know, and, and I gave him stuff again. And so another, he waited a year. And, and the funny thing about the story is I had lost like 35 pounds in that year. And so he came in. He goes, Pastor, have you been sick? And I said, uh, hey, Ricky, uh, you, you scammed me two times, buddy. You're not doing it again. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. I learned. He goes, I, you know, I, I understand. He did. We had a lady on staff who was from New Jersey. New Jersey people think that everybody's trying to scam you all the time. And she said to me, she said, you know, Chris, there's a big S on your head. People see it from a mile away. You need to learn not to help these people. Now, here's the thing. I've been a pastor for 30 years, and the S is gone from my head. But that doesn't mean that I haven't still been scammed in the last 30 years. Because when people come in to New Life, you know, if I don't know them, we ask a lot more questions. And we have them fill out a form, you know, for help. And, and then we look at the, the list. There's actually a list that the Saxonburg Sarver uh, Christian Leadership Network has of people that scam churches. And we see if their name's on the list. We do all of that. But then they say, we need some food. We give them some food. And if they need a, you know, gas to go to the next town, we give them gas to go to the next town. And, and when I say we, I'm talking about all of us. Because you all, your offerings go for stuff like that. You know, not, not like 95% of it, but some of it goes to that. And here's what I want. I want to I remind all of us about this. When we have a chance to care for somebody in the name of Jesus, and we do, whether they're telling us the truth or not, they've just been cared for in the name of Jesus. And in some cases, what happens is people start to say, you know what, that church actually believes what they say they believe because they do something about it. And we want to be known as a church that helps people with their real needs. Because empty stomachs have no ears. And hurting people don't want to hear about Jesus. But people who have their needs met in the name of Jesus. And you know how I've said the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus? We don't help people here and say, have a good day. We're glad we could help without talking about Jesus. Because that would make us the United Way. We're not the United Way. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And so when we do something, we do it in the name of Jesus. And just this week, for example, the church, New Life Christian Ministries, bought two used passenger, 15-passenger vans. And you might say, well, why would we do that? Why, why do we need two 15-passenger vans? Well, one reason we might need it is because there are people who want to come here to worship who don't have a car, and, and we can give them a ride. And we, we gave some people a ride today in the new vans. Um, the youth ministry here at New Life is growing like a weed. I mean, 112 people were here between the middle school and high school group this week. And uh, some of them live in mobile home communities, and they don't really have a way to get here. And so we're planning how we're going to use those vans to go to those mobile home communities and have specific stops and pick people up and bring them here. That's caring about people. And I guarantee you, once they get here on Tuesday night or Sunday night, they hear about Jesus. And they experience the love of Jesus, and they know that this is a church that cares about them. And that's what, that's what we're talking about here. James is telling us that we need to do things like that so people will know that we care, so they will know that our faith is not, what he called it, dead. But it's real. And so... Uh, uh, we could go on for a long time about what the things that New Life as a church are doing to show the care of Jesus in practical ways to people that aren't part of New Life. But what I want to do is I want to close this out by getting a much more personal. 
I want to I talk about the last thing James said. I want to apply it to you individually, me individually, and to our individual families. In my case right now, it's basically Nancy and I in our home, and you, it might be you and your spouse and your children uh, or your parents. But in any case, James said this. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Faith in Jesus Christ saves you and it saves me. But that isn't enough. What James said is, it isn't enough that we receive the faith that Jesus Christ, or the salvation that Jesus gives us through faith and just sit praying and wait for Jesus to come back. That's not enough. Once we receive it, we can't keep it to ourselves. We have to share it. And what James says is, one of the very best ways to share it is to attach care to it. That when people out there are hurting, they have physical needs, we meet them in the name of Jesus. James understood that if we really, really, really have a faith that's alive, that that faith is going to demonstrate itself in behavior change. And James knew it was hard. In fact, he knew it was impossible, just like we know it's impossible, without the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. Now, I want you to think about this week that's coming up, that started today. Where are you going to be this week? Well, you're going to be at work. You're going to be at school. You're going to be at home. You might be out on a football field. You might be on a dance floor. You might be in a grocery store. You might be outside. You'll be in a lot of different places. And here's the question. When you're in those places, how many people out there are you going to not know? A lot, right? How many people out there are you going to know and you know they don't know Jesus yet? There will be some of those too. And here's the question. What can we do? What can we do? How can we behave in such a way that people will know that we're followers of Jesus? Not by what we tell them, but what they experience of us. And here's the, the, the commitment for today. And again, if you're new here, we have a commitment every week because we don't just want to tell you what the Word of God says and then say, go home, uh, be warm and filled and have a good day, right? We want to actually do something about it. And so here it is. I will share my faith in Jesus with someone by meeting a daily need in Jesus' name. And I'm going to suggest a few things that you can do this week that Nancy and I have actually done in our lives so we know that they are things that people receive out there in the real world. One of the things you can do is if somebody's hungry, you could take them to breakfast or lunch at a restaurant. And while they're eating, tell them about Jesus. Because if they're really hungry, they're, they're focused on eating. But the thing that happens as soon as their stomach starts to fill up is their ears start to open. And they start to hear. So that's one thing that you could do. Another thing that you could do for somebody that's hungry is you could take them groceries. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to do this just for non-believers, people that are lost. You could do this for somebody in the church that you know that's having a hard time struggling, and you could bring them some food. And I would suggest you do sort of like a reverse Halloween thing if you do that. I don't know if you ever did this in Gypsy. It was sort of hard because we made this list of everybody you couldn't do anything bad to because they were related to you. And that left like four people in town whose houses were soaked to the... You know, they couldn't see out for like weeks. But anyway, the point is, we did bad stuff on Halloween. You know, we rang the doorbell and left junk on their table, on their, their porch or whatever. But here's the point. Buy some groceries. If you know them, they're Christians. You know they're Christians. They're having a hard time. Buy them some groceries. Take it up and put it on the porch. Ring the doorbell and run away. Because then God gets the credit instead of you. But in the same case, if it's somebody you know and they don't know Jesus, go up and ring the doorbell and stay there until they come to the door. 
And then you give them the bag of groceries and you say, I'm giving these to you out of the love of Jesus. I don't think they'll slam the door in, their, in your face. If they do, well, then just go home and say, I serve Jesus. If they don't, they're probably going to say, why are you doing this? Because I love Jesus. And he loves you and we want to share this with you. And we know you need it. And so that usually involves a conversation. And I've seen that conversation ultimately end up in somebody knowing Jesus. And that's why this is called caring as an invitation to know Jesus. And then the other thing that you could do, I love doing this one. People, you know, know I'm a, mostly people get to find out I'm a pastor because what do people, what do men ask men? What do you do? I'm a communicator. Because if I say I'm a preacher right off the bat, what happens is they don't want to talk to me anymore, right? But anyway, so if they find out, at the end, I'll, I'll usually say, is there anything I can pray for you about in your life? And most people, in fact, somebody after church said, you know, I've asked atheists if they want me to pray for them, and they've said yes. That's true. I have asked atheists if I could pray for them, and they say yes. And anyway, so you pray for the person first, and while they're praying, or what they ask you to pray for is, is something tangible, like a job. And you go, okay, and, we, and I leave, and then I go, and I find somebody who has need a guy to work, or a woman to work, and, and I put the two together, and guess what? Their prayer got answered by a job. They wanted a job, and they got a job. And, and you know what happens in that situation? Who gets the credit? God. Because he's the one who did it. He put you in the right place at the right time to pray for that, and you can provide that. And so guess what happens when you get to be the messenger for God? Do you know what the word for messenger for God is in the Bible? Angel. You can be an angel. Literally speaking, we can be angels when we pray for people and the need that's, that's something that we can do. So, and, and you know what else happens? They say, you know, I, I asked somebody to pray for me, and they said, be warm and filled and have a good day, and they didn't do anything. They just left. I asked you to pray, and you did, and then you brought me food, or you did this or that. You know, the prayer becomes real. Your faith becomes real. My faith becomes real. And then the last thing you can do, and this is probably the scariest of the, all, all the ones that we've done, uh, but we haven't really done it in, in a scary way very much because um, we've opened our home for people to stay with us. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, almost everybody except for one person that we've ever had live with us, we already knew them. Well, two, actually. We already knew them before they came to live with us. And, and so open up your house. That's a way that you can tangibly care for somebody. So as we do these things, what happens is people understand that belonging is a good thing and believing is a great thing, but behaving like Jesus is incredible. And the behaving like Jesus is what seals the whole process of belonging, believing, and behaving for people that don't yet belong. So as we finish up this five-week series on belonging, the last thing I want to do is to simply say, most of the weeks during this series, we've said to people uh, who are here, maybe you don't yet belong to Jesus as a believer. You don't believe that he's God. You don't believe he's the son of God, that he came and brought salvation. But as you've been listening over these weeks, your heart's been changing, your mind's been changing, and, and today you're ready to, to make that commitment and so what I would like to do is put a prayer up on the screen. It's been up on the screen, I think, three or the five weeks. And uh, it says this, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. And it says, I have not trusted you as Savior and Lord. And a sinner is just somebody who doesn't obey God. And trust there is like if I were to like say, I'm going to dive head first onto the floor here. 
and I'm going to trust Jim Brown to catch me. Okay, I would trust Jim Brown to catch me. Not too many else in here, but Jim Brown I would because he's a big guy and he's my good friend. Okay, so he would at least try to catch me. That's what I'm talking about, trust. I'm not talking about, you know, this little thing about when I say I trust. It's real trust, okay? Then it says, uh, as Savior, which means saving from sin and death. Lord means owner, as it says there. Today I turn away from my sins. The Bible calls that repenting. If I'm walking this way as sin and I turn around, that's repenting. I turn away from my sins back to God. And then uh, ask you, that's God, to come in and take over. Jesus. Be my Savior and Lord. Fill me with your spirit. The spirit of the living God comes in and fills us up when we believe that I may start. Notice it says start to live. That'll be the beginning of your life in Jesus, not the end. And then, uh, and as a part of your family, and that's the cool thing. You get to be part of a family that's not just here, but it's all over the world. People, brothers and sisters in the Lord everywhere um, who are a part of this family. So one person last night said to me, because I asked everybody to pray it, even if you're already a believer, and the person said, well, you know, I I can't really pray that because it says, I have not trusted you because I have trusted you. So if you're a believer in the room, all you have to do is don't say the not word. I have trusted you as Savior and Lord. All the rest of it's still true. Okay, so if you're not a believer, would you say the whole prayer? If you are a believer, would you say the whole prayer except the not word? Okay, and then let's pray this together right now. Oh, I mean, one more group. You just don't want to yet. That's okay. I don't want to force anybody to do anything that you don't want to do. All right. Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I have not trusted you as Savior and Lord, as owner of my life. Today I turn away from my sins and ask you to come in and take over. Be my Savior and Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may start to live as your follower and as part of your family. Amen. Let's continue in prayer. Almighty God, I thank you for any in the room today who have prayed that prayer for the first time and and recognize that they have not trusted you, but now they are. I pray that you would fill them up with your Holy Spirit, that you would support and encourage them And that you would let us, as their brothers and sisters, encourage them and challenge them to love and good works. I pray for the rest of us, God, that that our faith would move along that spectrum of belong, believe, to behave. and, And that we would continue to develop our beliefs. But that we would behave more and more like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that as we go out this week, that we will indeed find people who have real real needs. And that we'll meet them in your name. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.